Don't panic, this will not go pear-shaped. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. My dear, my lovely, my lady, let us talk today about a question that keeps rolling around in my mind. It is a simple question from a woman who is a therapist, perhaps, or a spiritual teacher. She's not someone that I know super well. Her name is Byron Katie. She is very prolific in her spaces. And she's one of those people that I've heard about over the years, and I've never really dive deep in deep into reading an entire book of hers, etc. And I've mentioned this before in passing, but I keep thinking about it. She has this signature process called The Work, and I believe it's four questions. I think I first heard her give the four questions Oprah years ago. But amongst those four questions, there are two that I just keep asking myself and noticing in my own thoughts, noticing in conversation with friends. And that's kind of the first thing I want to share today is just that awareness that there can be someone who is helpful in your life because you got a snippet of them on a podcast, someone else told you about the concept, and it's okay if you haven't yet or don't ever dive deep into all of their work. The podcast series that we did on the causes of depression and anxiety. I will link that below. It's a three-part series, and it was based on a book called Lost Connections. I first heard that author on a podcast a year and a half earlier, maybe. I didn't remember who it was. I didn't remember that it was about a book. And there was some something in the book that when I got there, I was like, you know, I feel like I've heard this before. And I'd started picking up on it all throughout culture. And that was this concept of, um, of medication. Well, I guess it's not medication. Uh, ketamine or psychosyllabin, I'm not sure the words, but basically like mushrooms, magic mushrooms, something like that. You can tell that I really do not know a lot about that. I don't even know the appropriate words for like any of the um, psychedelic drug world. But the concept of using these in, uh, in studies, in tests to help people break out of depression, anxiety, move past trauma, etc. And I just recently had an intake session with a therapy center here in New York that does that kind of therapy. And I was super intrigued to learn more about it. And I said to her, she was like, how did you, you know, make an appointment here? And I was like, well, I saw somebody share about it on Instagram. And prior to that, you know, really, I think I heard a podcast like two years ago and somebody mentioned this and I just thought it was interesting. And then I ended up reading his book, not remembering that's who I'd heard. And then once he talked about this data, then I started noticing more and more people in the entrepreneur space talking about this, more celebrities coming forward and talking about this. Like, I think like Lamar Odom was the most recent one, but it just got on my radar, even though it was not at the time an area I knew deeply about, even that researcher of the book I didn't know deeply about. And I think that that is okay. I've been thinking often how lately, how we just have so much information we could be taking in. There are so many books and documentaries 
and news articles and podcasts and it can feel like there's this heaviness of all the things that we want to learn. We should be learning. Everyone keeps telling us to read that book, to watch that thing. And I think that there are times when we can say that, that there's a difference between, oh, I just read that headline and I now I think I know everything about that. And I'm going to go around talking about it as fact to everyone. And I really haven't done my research to even read beyond the headline to be like, is this responsible to pass forward? I really try to check myself on that on Instagram, how often I want to share something. There was some, um, this happened to me a few times lately. There was a post about the Israeli-Palestine conflict, which I do not understand. I don't understand. And I got a couple DMs being like, will you speak out on this? And I was like, what wh- What would I say? I do not – I cannot begin at this point to have anything – I don't understand the situation. I am not the person <laughs> to come to for this. So I read this one Instagram post on a, a profile that I generally respect, uh, like a big news outlet uh, site, but, um, you know – anti-racist and whatever, not like one individual person. And so I'm reading this. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so helpful the way they are describing this. I'm thinking, I'm going to go share this on my Instagram stories. This is really helpful. And then I take a minute to scroll down to the comments. And the comments are like, this is so damaging. This is so irresponsible. Like you're, you're making so many inappropriate claims in this, blah, blah, blah. Like so many people. Now, I don't know these people, but it's enough to make me be like, Okay, I don't know that that's necessarily, you know, the responsible best big picture. So on the Israeli-Palestine conflict, if I'm going to speak out about it and have an opinion about it, I need to do more research. I need to invest more time to do that. And at this specific season of my life, that was not the thing that I felt called to go deeper into. Because again, there's so many things we could go deeper into. But I think there's other times when getting a snippet can actually just be the right thing that we were looking for in that time. It was the right takeaway from that person. Listening to their 10-minute TED Talk of their complete book was what we needed. Now, maybe we are going to read that book in two years because the one on depression and anxiety, I did read. But at the time, all I needed to take out of that one specific podcast was that little kernel of curiosity of, huh, I always grew up thinking of drugs as bad and the kinds of people who did drugs as bad. And yet I have deep empathy for people who go through depression, anxiety, trauma, PTSD. So you're saying that these are used to heal. I mean, I I care a lot about helping people heal. So this is fascinating. And so two years later, to get to the point where I would have a meeting with this uh, therapy company that uses synthetic versions, I suppose, of these drugs. Anyways, that's based on these kernels building up over time. And therefore, I'm kind of celebrating when I have a kernel that I hold on to and I'm allowing myself to say, I can be deeply blessed by these two questions of Byron Katie. I don't even need to remember what the full four questions are. I don't need to have read every one of her books at this point. Now, if she blesses me this much, there may be a good chance that I want to keep going into her work. But for right now, 
even if it's a small takeaway, that can be such a win in our week. We heard a little thing on Instagram stories or on a podcast, and to say, it's okay that I don't know everything on that topic, I learned a little bit more, or I got a kernel, and it helped me and blessed me. So the two questions from Byron Katie in this series are, is it true, and can you be sure? And it's really that second question, the first question of, is it true? Now, I'm going to share what my experience is of this. And here's another key takeaway. I don't know exactly what Byron's reasoning is for these questions. And she might be able to say, here's exactly what happens in the brain when you answer these questions, or we've done all of this research, or in my decades of therapy, as a therapist, here's what I've learned. And yet I, Hillary, also can say what I can go into, why is this so powerful for me? What do I think is happening here? And encouraging us to say the not only is the kernel enough, but I can get a lot of value in my own thoughts, my, my own wisdom, my own curiosity and exploration from that nugget. Now again, difference if I'm going to take a headline about Palestine and Israel and then decide that I have all these beliefs about it and then go, you know, sharing that is misinformation. That's different. But when we have just a thought that makes us curious about ourselves, this is a misinformation now. This is just internal exploration. And there, that, there is no negative in that. So what comes up for me in that first question of, is this true? And the, the, this is in response to comments like, um, she, she doesn't like me. Or I'm, I'm going to be happier if I take that job than that job. Or they're so selfish and they know exactly what they're doing. Like whatever the thing is, the thing that is a decision we are trying to make or an internal conflict that we're feeling, a trigger that we're experiencing, when we ask, is it true? I think that our first thought is to defend why it was our first thought. <laughs> you know, we have a thought so quickly when something comes up. Somebody walks past you on the street, you get on a job interview, you walk through the doors on a first date, you look at the text message. We have a thought so quickly. And I think the question of is it true is saying that thought you just had, is, is it true? And I think our first thought is to defend why that was our first thought. Like, I, I'm not being silly. I had justification for that. I, I, here's why I'm right. I have history, wisdom, knowledge. I'm not judgmental or I'm not wildly leaping to conclusions. Again, I'm not silly. I'm not wrong. Here's my facts and data. Here's what I know. Here's what I know and therefore why my, my initial instinct and best educated guess was to go to this. And I think our initial instinct is to want to, to defend that, that first thought we had because, again, it's, it's the conversation we've been having in our head. A lot of times, this isn't off of one quick thought. 
This is a whole conversation we've been having in our head. It's a whole story we've been coming up with as we sat there through the hour of the interview, as we thought about it over the next week, deciding whether or not to take the job, as we went on dozens and dozens of dates as a single person, as we listened to so many stories about fertility and infertility that other people were going through. You know, we've built up this. It's very unlikely that we're having this conversation about a stranger we passed in the street and we had a fleeting thought about because it was a fleeting thought that hasn't led to a whole conversation that needs excavation. But when we ask ourselves this, is this true? Can can you be sure? It's usually about something that we've been thinking about for a while. So we've been building up other evidence that this is true. Or even if it was a fleeting thought, that fleeting thought is based upon a lot of history. We still want to defend why I feel that way when I pass someone of a certain ethnicity on the street. There, you know, we've we've heard a, a lot about this in all striving to be more anti-racist in the last year and a half, that that we all have these these whispers of racism within us because we have been so built up in the societies that we've grown up in to see certain stereotypes, to, you know, make certain judgments and assumptions, to et cetera, that even if it's a fleeting thought, we can want to very much defend it because it's based on a lifetime of conditioning. If it truly is a teeny little thought, that's when we let it go. You're like, oh, I think we should put the trash can here. And then someone's like, it's in the middle of the door. And you're like, right, not a good idea. Okay, next. It's because you didn't have a deep convert. You haven't had a lifetime of thinking where the trash cans should go. You didn't have a whole story concocted. You just had a quick thought. And then someone was like, um, it's right in the middle of the doorway. And you're like, great, okay, let's, you know, you're you're easily willing to release that. And you're not therefore gonna have an in-depth conversation about it. But these times that it comes up are either I've got a history that is built up why I'm having this kind of a fleeting thought, or more likely, I've been thinking about this for a bit, even if it's that I sat here during this whole first date and thought about it, or I thought about it the whole time I was going to the first date. I thought about it the whole time I was going to the job interview, the whole time I was in the job interview. Even just that, when you go into it or come out of it, you've been in a certain headspace of building up your thoughts, beliefs, and expectations. And so this second question of can you be sure I have just found so powerful in realizing how often we have thoughts, not facts. We don't actually know. We've made our best educated guess. (laughs) We have built up a story. We have put things together. But it really calls us to the humility that There is a shallowness, not shallow as in um, like vain, you know, Um, as in like not having any depth as a person, but shallow as in I really haven't done in-depth research to come at it from all the angles. And in some ways, maybe I can or maybe I can't. You know, if you have this belief that 
this is the way your mother or your mother-in-law is or, you know, something, someone that is is in your life. You've decided this. This is why your friend is staying in this bad relationship or whatever. I think the can you be sure is the humility to know there is so much I will never know about another human. I am not in their therapy sessions. I have not walked a lifetime, you know, in their shoes. Even though I know them, this is a person, you know, in my life. This isn't Meghan Markle that I've never met and I'm making assumptions about. This is someone in my life, but I am a very complex person and even the people closest to me do not know everything that's happening within me. So in humility, I can say, you know, actually, I I can't be sure. It's my best educated guess. And that's okay. We don't have to say like, oh, I am the worst because I can't possibly know because we're still going to have thoughts. We're still going to have judgments. And that's wise because we want to be, we're trying to think about what's the best advice I could give to this friend or how can I better set boundaries with my mother or, you know, having those, the running through those thoughts isn't bad. And it may lead to the outcome that we need, but having that balance of humility to say, but I can't fully be sure that this is why. I know, I always use my mom as as an example because my mom is lovely. Um, And so it's like the opposite of sharing um, autobiographically, but I know that this resonates for a lot of other people. You know, if if you're trying to set boundaries with your mother, That's great. You can set the boundaries for yourself and your case. But if we're trying to say, here's why I think she does these things or what she means by these things or what I make it mean when she does these things, it's also having the humility to say, but I can't know for sure. Maybe she genuinely doesn't understand why it's triggering. Maybe as many times as I've explained it, it's it's unsafe for her to believe that that's true in so, for some reason that I can't identify because I'm not a professional therapist and I haven't been in her therapy. And so it's just allowing that humility to say, I, I still am going to make my best educated guess, whether that's giving advice to someone else, giving advice for myself, but I'm also going to make sure that I have humility that I, I've never met that influencer. I've never met uh, that celebrity. I really don't know. Um, I wasn't in that courtroom. I wasn't on that jury. I was listening to a podcast last night talking about the O.J. Simpson trial and the host, I appreciated how multiple times she was like, I just really try, like basically where they were saying, you know, do you think this person is guilty or not in these different stories that were related? And she was saying like, I try just to be like, it's thankfully that's not my job. If I was a judge or a juror, then it would have been my job, but I can be interested in all the details in the case without having to think that I knew better than the jurors in the room who like dedicated, you know, their lives to, you know, months of their lives to that. So I think that it brings out this humility in us specifically when it comes to other people. And then I think it also brings out humility in us to realize how quickly we want to leap to having an answer, even if it's ourselves. It has nothing to do with, you know, our assumptions necessarily about other people, but we want to have control. We want to have hope. We want to be protected. We want to be safe. And how often I notice since having this question 
that my decisions are based on an initial thought that I don't necessarily question. If I'm not slowing down enough and doing my journaling and my wand exercises and my self-coaching, you know, one example from a, a couple months ago is I I interviewed someone for a job and I wanted them to be the right person for the job. So while I had explored them online and I'd had an interview with them, my brain also was filling in a ton of other ways in which they were ideal because I'm about to embark when when you, you offer someone a job and you're a small team and you're wanting them to be here for years you're really kind of going into a mini marriage, right? Like it's you're it's spending a lot of time. You're putting a lot of trust. You're going to really be, this person's going to be a huge part of your life. You're wanting it to be like monogamous for a good chunk of their life. And it's based off of a couple of interviews. You know, that would seem wild to me to enter into like a three-year dating relationship and make that commitment off of like the first three dates. You know, there's just more that you're going to find out about someone once they like you see them get upset and you see them be sad and you know all these different things. So I had really positive feelings about this person, was so optimistic, was so confident they were they were the one. Have this big test project that we have people um do for certain roles. And it just was not the right fit. It was such a clear no. And I realized that I so wanted it to be true, that they were the right person, that my brain was filling in all those gaps to help me. Again, not because I'm silly or I'm shallow, I'm not smart, whatever. It's just my brain, it it wants to give me the desires of my heart, you know? And that doing that testing helped me to be as sure as I could be. That it said, can you be sure Can you be sure is also, can also be leading us to action. Can you do any more research? Could you have a couple of more interviews or meetings? Could you take a little bit more time before you make that decision? And again, I think what's really important to note is we don't want to be wrong. (laughs) You know, our, our ego, our brain, We don't want to be wrong. So our initial instinct, if we realize even that our first thought was wrong in the, is this true? If then when we get to, can you be sure, we realize it wasn't, we might be defensive there. We might want to say, okay, but here's all the reasons why I thought it was true in the beginning. Because I am smart and I am savvy and I am not dumb in having made this initial thought. We we can want to get defensive. But really that, can you be sure, is is allowing you to honor, well, here's my initial instincts. And it's okay that I have initial instincts because I have a lifetime, I have a history, I have hopes, I have fears. When it came to interviewing that person, I wasn't being crazy idealistic. I wasn't plucking someone off the street who had no experience and just desperately shoving them, you know, into it. This was a talented, wonderful person. But when I was able to take another step, like giving them a test, that was was the question, can you be sure, in action, <laughs> it helped me acknowledge I wanted it to be true. I wanted it to be true that they were the right person. And again, they may have been. The test may have proven, can you be sure? 
Well, I put them through this extensive test and they nailed it. So I am as sure as I can be heading in. And I still might be wrong and I won't beat myself up for that because I did the best I could in the can you be sure phase. I can never be 100% sure, but I was as sure as I could be. And in this case, instead, with having it be a no, it just helped me acknowledge, well, I wanted it to be true because it would be better for me to find this role and to have it be this lovely person. And so my brain wants to help me. And it just gave me more insight into how my own brain and body works to go, huh, you know, interesting. I think I I so want it to be that person. Let me just note that for future. I'm a little idealistic when it comes to job interviews because I want that person to be the person. Now, I don't want to become a negative Nancy, but I just need to, to, I just want to note for myself that I get a little overly idealistic and I really, doing these tests is very important to help get me out of what I want to be true and really looking at the facts. You know, So maybe for you that's saying, I... I just assume the worst going into all of my dates. I think of a girlfriend of mine who's just very negative when it comes to dating. And to say, okay, that that first thought of is it's true. I, I, I'm not just a negative Nancy. I've been hurt a lot. I've been hurt a lot. I've been disappointed a lot. I don't want to get my expectations up. So that's why I have those initial negative thoughts. And the can you be sure no, I can't. I can't. I will look for, I'm going to therefore look for more examples of relationships that do work out. I'm going to focus on the couples I know that are really happy and healthy because it's not true that love will never work for me. So, but that's my instinct. And the can I be sure question helps me notice my initial instinct and balance out for it in a way that's actually going to be realistic, whether I mean too negative, too positive, whatever that is. Maybe your brain wants to keep people away to avoid being hurt, or it wants to welcome everyone in so that you are more loved. Maybe your brain is afraid of failing or succeeding. It can be either side of the coin where you tell yourself, this is the real issue that my mother has, or there's no way that I could date this guy because... And we realize I've had to make up a story here. Even thoughts like, it's really hard to do this. Can you be sure that it's really hard to do this? Where did you get that from? Did you hear someone else say it? Do you know that you have the exact same background as that person? What if they just had a negative mindset and then that's what they've been passing on and you have a healthier mindset? You know, does every person who's done that thing feel the exact same way or do they feel that it is as hard? What does really hard mean? What does it mean if it is hard that you shouldn't do it, that it will be really rewarding when you do, that it has to be worth it? Okay, so then what is worth it to you? Because maybe that person who said it was really hard, it wasn't worth it to them. Or the opposite, it should be really easy to do this. Now I'm beating myself up because it should be so easy. Or I'm behind. I'm behind in my life. I'm behind, you know, where I should be. Again, can you be sure 
that you won't look back in three years and go, oh my gosh, thank goodness that didn't happen earlier. Or you won't get to heaven or whatever you believe in and look back at your life and go, oh my gosh, I did not realize I was being protected from that by that thing not happening. Oh my gosh, okay, I wasn't behind. I was right on track for this other thing that that I really loved. And I think it's not about an arms crossed posture of <laughs> how can you be so sure? It doesn't have a tone to it. It's not making ourselves feel dumb or silly for our initial thoughts, assumptions, beliefs, judgments. It's just honoring how powerful those initial thoughts are. And it's in humility realizing just how many leaps, assumptions, guesses, stories, hopes, fears we put into them. And realizing there's a lot more possibility that things can be good, people can be better, our options can have more hope, or even that we're being too idealistic, that we can have more wisdom, that there can be another layer to come at this with. And I think that all of that helps us to make better decisions to have better feelings about our decisions or our relationships that are built less on assumptions, stories, past hurts, idealism, you know, guesses, and more in what's real and what's true. And I think that this question is just the simple invitation to pause and slow down in our thoughts in our decisions, in our relationships. And that pause has been such a blessing to me in these last few months, in these last few years, as I have slowed down more. The more I slow down, the less anxious and angry and less assumptions, all of that clutters in my mind because I'm taking that pause. And I think this one question, without being someone who dives deep into meditation or therapy, which we would all love to be doing, and I hope we all are doing more, to have this one question to start to ask yourself, to notice, can I create more pause? Can I question my thoughts? Can I honor the reason that I initially believe this is true? And can I feel delighted to be curious, to go deeper and ask myself, okay, but can you be sure? Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately, we went to our first big indoor mass group of people shoulder to shoulder event since 2019. And I felt really safe in it. This was a NBA game. We went to the playoff game for the Knicks. They lost, but it was still a blast. And the reason that I felt so good about going is that, and this isn't a political statement about vaccines, but for me personally, there were vaccinated sections. And so you went to a – and I believe the majority of the stadium was this. I think there's just a couple of unvaccinated sections, but most New Yorkers are vaccinated. So you showed your vaccination ticket when you went in, and you got a white wristband, and then everyone in your section 
also was vaccinated or had just taken a negative COVID test that you could you could prove you had a negative COVID test or you could even do a 30-minute rapid test on site. And otherwise, when you were walking around outside your seat, you had your mask on. But oh my gosh, the energy was just so good. I love communal corporate energy. I love sporting events and concerts and big church services. And like, oh, I just, I love being, you know this, I love being on balconies in New York or Paris or Barcelona or Mexico. I love the buzz of people. I love hearing people laughing and all of that. Like, oh, it's just so my happy place. And we bought the tickets so last minute, we weren't thinking and planning on going. So I think that added to the rush that we, I think I told you we bought tickets for uh, as soon as Broadway opens again, which is in September. So I'm so excited for that night as well. But that's months in advance. This one happened kind of, you know, so quickly. And I will say, by the way, we have listeners from all over the world. And I truly hope that we all have access to the vaccine soon. I know that America has been uh, ahead of schedule compared to some other countries and just acknowledging that not everyone has that privilege and that access yet. But I have to tell you this funny story. We're sitting down. We get there early. We're eating. There's not a lot of people sitting near us. And uh, a dad and his son come, but there's still a few seats away. And I think actually they had the seats next to us. But when there was no one there, they're like, well, we'll just sit a little further away. Then people come for those seats. So they scoot over. So this probably like 14-year-old Indian kid is sitting next to me. And I refrain from giving him the very awkward moment of his life because I probably look like a middle-aged woman to him, who's like, why would this woman be talking to me? So I refrain from what I want to say to him, which is, this is the closest I've been to a stranger in a year and a half. And, you know, we've been through a lot of trauma this last year, but I feel really safe in this moment, which is so unexpected because you have a white bracelet on too. And there's something really freaking Hunger Games about the fact that I'm looking for this identifying symbol that you have on to show that you two are one of the safe ones and that we're safe together in our section. So this is all kind of really weird and existential, right? But also, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life because I've never had this moment of being like, oh my gosh, I am sitting shoulder to shoulder with a stranger that used to just be a super normal thing I never thought about. And I haven't done that for a year and a half. And then I think this kid would have been like, I don't even think he would have said cool. I think he probably just would have been like, this is mortifying. I'm going to look back at my phone. Um, so I refrained from saying that. But I did remember it and um, put it into my heart that um, I will think of that you know, tween boy for the rest of my life as the closest stranger that I came into contact with. Um, and it did just make me realize how I personally for myself am getting to more of a place of peace. I am still not uh, kind of like, hooray, everything is fine. I know that we may have variants. I am still, Jeremy took a, a plane trip to go to a wedding. I still was like, you know, don't eat on the plane, make sure you're wearing your mask. Like, you know, we're just still being cautious when my parents were here. I was reticent to like eat indoors at different times, even though we were all vaccinated. Like I still was just, you know, easing back into it. But I think for me, the fact that everyone was in this vaccinated 
section and that that was at least a 85% of the um of the arena allowed me to just really joyfully be present in the moment and i think that in and of itself the experience of being with all those people was amazing but i think i also realized how on edge I am just doing the littlest things still. Our coffee shop, uh, I noticed over the weekend, just put seating back indoors. You haven't been allowed to sit indoors. And I just, again, my mind goes like, am I okay with that? Am I cool with that? Do I want to sit here? Do I still feel more comfortable being outside? Do I need to research this more? I haven't really researched this. And so today, just as a final thought, I would just encourage you to honor the trauma of what we all have been through. And if you, like me, have been uh, nervous about this, I acknowledge that there are some people that have not been bothered by the uh, virus and have just gone on with their lives. But if you are like most of us who have been distancing and wearing masks and and very concerned for ourselves and our loved ones, um, to just acknowledge this as we get into this season where maybe we are able to do more things with more peace and And again, I'm still being very cautious, but when we have those moments to just celebrate, like, I'm not anxious right now. And that is a gift and a blessing. Like, I am feeling at peace. I'm feeling at peace in this present moment. And I am grateful for that. And yes, two days later, I'm going to go to my coffee shop and not be sure how I feel about sitting inside. And then I'm going to go back to, okay, so why why do I believe that to be true? Well, it was everyone got vaccinated. Okay, that's true. That is different when you go into this coffee shop that, that not everyone is. And we can celebrate that on that night, it was magical and I got to just like cheer and scream with a bunch of strangers. Okay, one more thing. Also, just living in New York City, my other moment that I was deeply having is I just looked around. There were friends and families and single individuals of every ethnicity and age group around us, just in the seats right around us. If I took like the 30 people right around us, Black, Latinx, Asian, Indian, um, elderly, middle-aged, high college students, high school students. And I just, I just wanted to hug all of them to be like, we could be so different on the surface. And the, the, we get so many messages in the world about, you know, pitting boomers against millennials and, um, you know, races against one another and all of that. And I am so blessed to live in a city that has so much diversity and to get those moments of shared joy, shared connection, even though I don't know these people's stories, I don't know their heartbreaks, but even just that element of how beautiful it is to be in the same space again with the beautiful diversity that is our neighbors. Oh, all the feelings. Of course. Of course, I'm going to go to an NBA playoff game and have like three reasons that I want to burst into tears um, because life is beautiful. No one is surprised by that. Um, And I'm really sad that uh, the Knicks lost and we can't go back to another game because it was magical. Speaking of magical, I hope that you are having a magical day, have a magical week, and that this magical question of can I be sure blesses you and the people in your life. next Wednesday.